Uh, as Felix said, my name is Eric Bean. Uh, I work with college students at Texas A&M Corpus and also at Del Mar College. The BSM stands for Baptist Student Ministry. We are all about engaging students to follow Christ and transform the world. We do that through uh, a variety of different things. Uh, we have on-campus Bible studies. We do a free lunch every week on both campuses. If you just say free food to a college student, look out. They will maul you over on their way to get, a free food, uh, get some free food. So that's a great way we meet people. And uh, we do outreaches on campus. We just try to, try to share our faith with Christ. We believe in Christ and has transformed who we are. And we want to share that with other college students. Uh, that's what BSM uh, stands for. And I wanted to share a little bit about one of our students with you and his story as we talk about uh, a passage in Acts. I want to read today in Acts chapter 17. So if you have your Bible, turn there, Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're going to be in verses 22 through 31. Uh, Acts 17, 22 through 31. Let me read that for you. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life to all mortals and beings. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for Him and find Him, though indeed He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are His offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think uh, that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will uh, have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this, He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Will you all pray with me? Father, we have gathered here to worship You, to worship Jesus, our King, Lord, we thank you for this written word, and we pray, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts. Speak through me. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would minister to us individually. May we walk away from here changed today because of the work of your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to tell you, student, uh, you students. See, I'm so used to talking to students. I want to tell you all about a, a friend of mine. <coughs> He's a student uh, at A&M. His name is Holden. I met Holden this past April, uh, this past spring uh, while we were ice blocking. If you've never been ice blocking or you don't know what ice blocking is, think of uh, bobsledding in South Texas. We went and we bought large blocks of ice. We went to Cole Park. We stood up on, on uh, one of the hills and we, uh, you make yourself up in a little ball and you sit on the ice and then you slide down the, slide down the hill as fast as you can and you race each other. Uh, now, if you've been to Cole Park, I'm sure a lot of y'all have, you know that the hill right there ends with a cement sidewalk, and then there's the bay right after that. So if you get enough 
uh, momentum, you're going to end up in the water. So luckily, we had four of our guys down at the base of the hill ready to catch us as we came down. Uh, But anyway, uh, we went ice blocking, had a great time, and every time I went down the hill, I ended up falling off the ice, rolling around, getting scraped up with the stickers and burrs that were in the grass. Uh, So my fourth time down, I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to watch. Thanks, though. Uh, So I sat down with a group of students that were just watching, and I sat next to a new guy that I hadn't met before, and his name was Holden. And we played the little get-to-know-you game. What's your name? Where are you from? What are you studying? You know, the typical questions that I ask college students. But it was clear that he, uh, or our conversation turned into really deep things really quickly. And he started talking about how he has a lot of questions about faith, uh, about he's trying to find answers for his faith. He also talked about the drugs, the alcohol, the relationships with the women uh, that he was having, that they were not fulfilling him anymore. It was clear that he was hungry. He was hungry for more than Whataburger and CeCe's Pizza, which our college students love. He was hungry for something that would completely satisfy his soul. He was searching for something. He was searching for God. Our students befriended Holden. They invited him to Bible study where he came, and he asked a bunch of questions. Uh, he went to church with them, uh, still trying to find answers to his questions. And, but I think the most important thing that our college students did was they lived out their faith in front of him. They said, we believe in Jesus Christ, and this is how it has transformed us. And he saw that up close and personal by spending time with our other college students. In April, praise God, uh, Holden made a major decision, and he decided that he wanted to follow Christ. He committed his life to Christ. He believed in and accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offered, uh, and he said, I pledge my life from this day forward to follow you to be a disciple of Jesus. We, we celebrated that. We surrounded him. We were so thankful for that. A week later, he was baptized uh, in obedience. But the cool thing, one of the cool things, not the cool thing, was a week later he was on campus with us and he was sharing his faith with one of his drug-using friends. He was saying, look, my life has changed. I found Jesus. Everything in the past has been forgiven. I'm a new person. I have changed. And then two, about a month after that, Hold and I had been meeting for a while and we talked about what it meant to be a disciple, what it meant to follow Jesus. And a month later, he, he told his girlfriend, I can't live with you anymore. I want to pursue righteousness in my life. I want to pursue righteousness with my relationship with you and we can't do this anymore. So the cool thing is that Jesus was changing him it, and it was evident through his lifestyle changes. In several of the meetings that I had with Holden, we went over this passage, Acts 17, together. And I wanted to read this for him because I wanted him to know just how much God was pursuing him and just how much God pursues all of us. Let's talk about what was going on here. Paul was addressing a group of Athenians. He was in the, the city of Athens, and there was a public forum. People would get together, and they would debate, and they would discuss. And Paul went because he was a very intelligent man and wanted to engage in dialogue. Well, as he was there talking, he became burdened by looking around and seeing all these idols all over the, the, um, in the city of, of Athens. Uh, he was burdened because he knew they were worshiping and celebrating the wrong gods. Uh, so he said... He stood up and he said, I want to talk to you guys. I commend you for being religious people. I commend you for being people of faith, but you're worshiping the wrong thing. And he introduced everyone to this idea of a monotheistic deity, one God. Um, He started pulling in elements of Greek philosophy, elements of 
uh, of Greek thought and sayings in order to draw parallels between what was commonly believed in Athens and this new idea of a resurrected Christ. He was doing this not to show that they were the same, but to show that he was proclaiming a superior truth. His argument was that there was a one almighty being, God, who created everything and brought intentional order to chaos. Um, He also chose to create a human, a, a race of human beings to fellowship with, to have conversation with, to commune with God. And though sin and disobedience would corrupt our relationship with God, he would still seek after us by sending his son to die on a cross, replacing our unrighteousness for his righteousness. He would orchestrate, and God would orchestrate the times and places and circumstances of our lives in order to urge us to reach out for him. In verse 27 that we read, Paul suggests that people, when we open our lives to uh, the circumstances of our lives, and we would realize the desperation we have in our lives uh, for God, for reconciliation, for the forgiveness of our sins, that we would respond. We would reach out to God. And it uses an interesting word in my translation. We would grope for God. In such desperation that we have, we would be, God, where are you? I need you to help me in my state of being a sinner. So he would grope for God, look for God, And God would respond and God would prove, I am here, I am evident, I am in your life. He would reveal himself. Paul uses, uh, yet God is not far from one of us, this transcendent being that created all things physical uh, is within reach uh, so that we can have a relationship again with a God. Just like we can have a relationship with one another, we can talk, we can commune, we can fellowship, we can do that now with our creator. He is present. He is here. Not only that, Uh, But he allows us to fellowship with him again, not as subjects who are made to worship and to serve him, but now as children who have the privilege of worshiping and serving a God. Paul's speech uh, spoke of the intimacy that we can enjoy with our creator once again, an intimacy that was made evident and possible through the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the middle of this passage that we just read, I want to focus on one verse And that is this idea of in God we live and move and have our being. That's in verse 28. In God we live and move and have our being. Now this is actually a quote. Paul was quoting an ancient poem uh, describing a a dialogue or a conversation between uh, the king of Crete, which is an island uh, just in in the Mediterranean. the, The king's name is Minos. And he was having a discussion or a conversation with, with Zeus, uh, the supreme ruler of all Greek philosophy and mythology. And he was talking about how, and Minos was saying, the Cretans, the people of Crete, have claimed that you are dead, Zeus, and they can prove, prove that by showing me where their tomb is. But Minos said, I don't believe that. And this is what he says. This is an ancient poem, an ancient quote. They fashioned a tomb for thee, O high and holy one, the Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, idle bellies. But thou art not dead. Thou livest and abidest forever. For in thee we live and move and have our being. Now Minos declares that his people were liars whenever they proclaimed Zeus's death. He enthusiastically declares Zeus's uh, infinite existence and says that human existence depends on, God, on Zeus for that existence. Excuse me. He says, for in thee we live and move and have our being. 
Paul quotes this not to show some parallels, but to also show supremacy, to show uh, that the Athenians in their presuppositions were believing in half-truths. Yes, we were dependent on a higher being, but it was not Zeus. It was God. Uh, Paul brought, brought clarity this, to this muddled truth. His God created the earth and all that is in it and then redeemed it after it had fallen by sending his son to substitute his righteousness for our unrighteousness. Just as Minas declared that Zeus was not dead, so, Je- so Paul was declaring that Jesus was not dead. It is in Jesus that we live, that we move, that we have our being. Now let's look at this. Live, move, and have our being. I think the best way to understand this, this thesis is to understand its antithesis or its opposite. So if in God we live and move and have our being, then apart from God, we are dead, we are stagnant, and we cease to be. Let's look at that idea of in God we are dead. Paul was clear. I'm going I'm to jump to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Descri- and Paul describes how we were dead. Listen to this in verse Uh, Verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2 of Ephesians. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in in which you once lived, following the course of the world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. Now all of us once lived among among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of our flesh and senses. We were, by nature, children of wrath like everyone else. Scripture is clear that prior to us accepting the free grace given to us through Christ Jesus, we were dead. We had no spirit abiding in us. We lived under the power, the influence, and the authority of our flesh and the worldly desires. Paul said that we were destined for God's judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel really uncomfortable. That makes me feel really uncomfortable that we were, as Paul said, we were children of wrath. Now, if I focus on that, if I focus on this idea of my condition of being a child of wrath before accepting Christ, uh, sometimes I'll quickly draw two conclusions. One, I'll say, that's not fair, God, uh, that you would make me a child of wrath before I had anything, any say in it. Or I would compare myself to others and said, well, how dare you say that I'm a child of wrath? Because I'm better than so-and-so because I haven't done such-and-such. But what happens if we take our focus off of our own condition and we focus on the condition of God? What happens if we acknowledge that God is supremely holy and supremely righteous? When we do that, we are so overcome with how perfect He is, how holy He is, that it's no wonder that we cannot compare to that. We see throughout Scripture the proper response to this holy and righteous God is one of absolute and complete humility and submission. Also, in several times when a, when a human being encountered God, he said, you are, you are so holy that depart from me. I need to be apart from you. I need to be away from you because I am not worthy of being in your presence. I am as good as dead. That's the proper response. So this statement of our condition, child of wrath, is not a reflection of our condition. It's a, reflect, it's a reflection of God's holiness and God's righteousness. Uh, but luckily, thankfully, 
We are not left in this condition. We are not left, or God, God is more than just righteous. He is also merciful. Going back to this uh, passage in Ephesians 2, let's look at verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love for which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Skipping to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This is the gift of God, not by your works, so that no one may boast. This is our new condition. God gave us life in Christ. But as before, our condition is not a reflection of our own condition. Uh, It's a reflection of God's character. Not only is He rich in righteousness, and that's why we deserve to be separated from Him, but He's also rich in mercy, and that's why we're allowed to commune with Him again. He gives us life. Our new life means that we can freely respond and commune with God once again. The living with the living. That's the only way it can happen. It is in God that we live and move and have our being. Let's look at this next part. In God we move. What is the opposite of moving? Stagnant or standing still, right? Like the not moving. Now I think the not moving, it just doesn't give it the same gravity. Uh, so that's why I chose the word stagnant. Have you ever uh, been to or seen a stagnant pond? Uh, the water is just so still, there's no turning, there's no oxygen that's able to get in the pond anymore. And when there's no oxygen uh, cycling through the water, no animals can live in there anymore because all animals need need oxygen to breathe. And if no animals are in there turning oxygen into carbon dioxide, the plants can't live in the water anymore. And that's why there's no life in a stagnant pond. There has to be turning, there has to be movement for life to exist. Think of uh, working out. Uh, if you go and, or excuse me, if you're not using your muscles, they begin to atrophy. They begin to break down. They begin to, not decay, but they begin to atrophy uh, when they're not moved. I had surgery on my knee five years ago, and, uh, and I was not able to use it in the same capacity that I had. I couldn't walk on it for a while. Uh, and I noticed a significant difference in the size and the strength of my muscle after I was able to put weight on it once again because my muscles had already started to atrophy. When our muscles are not used for their intended purpose, life cannot happen. There's no, uh, there's no uh, strength there. Same thing goes with our faith. We're not exercising our faith. When we're not moving in our faith, Uh, there ceases to be any kind of uh, communion with God. There's no exercising. There's no no life happening here. Uh, Let's look back at this passage in Ephesians 2, jumping back to Ephesians 2. This This is what Paul said about movement. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We were created to move. God gave us this new life. Now we're called Now we're, we're called to respond to this new life by moving, by doing something, by exercising our faith. That's our new way of life. He created us to, to take risks with our faith uh, by teaching others, by sharing the gospel with other people, coworkers, family members, in my case, uh, students, serving the vulnerable, finding people who need help and serving them in the name of Christ, Forgiving people, simply forgiving people, or working towards reconciliation in that relationship. That's when you're taking a risk and moving in your faith. Acting in obedience to Scripture. When we do that, we are exercising our faith. We are moving in God. 
We have a, a new life in Christ, and now we are called to do something with it in response. In God, we live and move and have our being. Let's look at that last part, having our being. This idea or this word here, we have our being, simply translated, a very rough translation is simply we are. We are. We have our existence. We are. The Greek word here is the first person plural, we are, or uh, amen, uh, or amen is what it's called. That's how you spell it. Uh, so if in God we are, then apart from God, we don't exist. We are not. That's the, just the best way to describe it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't physically exist, because you and I see people walking around that might not have a relationship with God, and they still physically exist. They have a physical body. But there's more to us. There's more to Eric Bean than just my tall, handsome, good looks right here. There's more to me. It's my personality. It's my sense of humor. It's my, it's my spirit. It's my dreams and ambitions. It's my past. All of these things all together make up who Eric Bean is. And it's those things that come into existence from our Creator whenever we are found in God. Our Creator who created our physical bodies is also the same God that creates our spiritual bodies, or, or excuse me, our spiritual selves, the rest of our identity. So if we are apart from that, we, nothing has been given to us in terms of our identity from our Creator. But when we are found in God, we are found in Christ. He gives us a new identity. We are simply uh, in that statement. Let's jump back to this Ephesians 2, looking at the two verses that we skipped, verses 6 and 7. God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the immeasurable riches of His, kindness, of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? This means that Paul, well, Paul was stating here that our existence is found in Christ. Our identity becomes equal to that of Christ because of His grace. We have been elevated to the status of Jesus in the heavenly realms when we put our faith in Christ. God sees us, seats us in the heavenly places with Christ as if we have received the same status. He also describes that we are now children of God and we are now co-heirs with Christ. We are no longer children of wrath when we are found in Christ. Paul mentions that in the book of Romans. When God sees us, He does not see us for our sin and disobedience anymore, but He sees the righteousness of Christ. Our new identity is hidden in the existence of the truth, the ministry, the death, the, the resurrection of Jesus. And that brings with it a new purpose for us. We belong to a new kingdom now, a new kingdom of righteousness, of justice, of reconciliation. Indeed, in God we live, we move, and we have our new being. Let's revisit Holden, the story of Holden. According to Paul's argument uh, to the Athenians, when Holden moved to Corpus Christi to go to school, it was because God was, search, it was God was reaching out to him. It was God that orchestrated the events of his life so that Holden would move here, so that he would find BSM. He would have unsatisfying relationships. He would find BSM, and then he would find uh, answers to his questions. He would get plugged into a church, and he would ultimately commit his life to Christ. When Holden accepted God's grace and committed his life to follow Jesus, he found new life. There was a miraculous spiritual regeneration that took place. Uh, where there was once death and destruction, there was now new life. 
a mirac- uh, excuse me, uh, in response to this new life, Holden desired to move. He desired to do something. He desired to exercise his faith. He dived into a Bible study. He got baptized out of obedience. Uh, he went out on campus and he shared a story. He called his girlfriend and said, we can't live together anymore because I'm pursuing Jesus now. Holden's life had a new purpose now because his existence was hidden in Christ. His identity uh, that defined him, and it was a new identity that defined him and spurred him on. Thank God that in him we live and move and have our being. So I want to ask you this question. And do you, are you in God so that you have a new life, so that you are moving and that you have a new existence? Maybe you have committed your life to Christ. Uh, and if so, are you moving? Are you exercising your faith? Are you taking risks with your faith? Are you acting in obedience to Scripture? Are you seeking reconciliation and forgiveness in relationships with people? Are you reaching out? Are you sharing Christ with coworkers, with family members, with children, with, with college students that you might know? Are you sharing your faith? Are you exercising your faith? Are you moving? But maybe some of you have never committed your life to Christ. Maybe you've never accepted the free grace given to you. And therefore, you can say, Eric, I honestly don't have new life inside of me. I'm not found in Christ, so I don't have a new identity given to me by my Creator. You can respond. You can make that change today. You can make that decision. You can make that pledge to accepting Christ's forgiveness and then walking with Him with the rest of your life, being transformed, uh, like you were saying, into the image of Christ day after day after day. When we do that, then you move. Then you have a new existence. Then you're given new life. I know that Felix or Sarah or Giancarlo would, be loved, would, want, would want to have that conversation with you about what does that mean to put your faith in Christ. It is in God, it is in Jesus that you live, that you move, and that you have your being. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are the God that did not live, leave us in a condition of death and a condition, condition of destruction as a condition of children of wrath. But in your mercy, you reached out to us. You offered us a plan for forgiveness through Christ. And thank you, Christ, that you were obedient to the will of the Father. And that you now offer us new life. You offer us a new existence. And you offer us the guidance to help us to know how to move, how to live for you, how to live a better life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Help us all, including myself, to respond to this message and respond to what Paul said in Acts 17. Where are we in our journey of faith and how do we need to take that to the next level, Lord Jesus? Holy Spirit, minister to us, move us, challenge us this coming week. As we go from this place, I pray that you would encourage us through this fellowship. And bring us back here again next week safely. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.